policymakers could live through and feel the consequences of climate change in action today? Would it influence their policy choices? And could gaming or virtual reality simulations help to prioritize action in climate adaptation and resilience building? Today's guests share their experience in creating gaming technologies for world leaders. Video games have evolved beyond pure entertainment and now have the potential to reach a global community of 3 billion people with climate resilience skills and promote behavioral change. My name is Annette Hertwig. Welcome to the Resilience Hub's COP27 special podcast series on Rethink Talks. Hi, my name is Chance Glasgow and I am a video games consultant with Arshrock. Um, I've been working with Arshrock and have been a senior fellow for about three years now. Um, I've been working in video games for about 22 years. I got started when I was a teenager, um, you know, modifying existing games on my PC and then eventually, uh, you know, got my first job or uh, went to Full Sail University, studied computer animation. I got my first job working on Medal of Honor Allied Assault and then 22 of us, we left. We formed a new company called Infinity Ward. Uh, which was the company that created the Call of Duty franchise. And so I spent um, about 12 or 13 years on Call of Duty and, um, you know, kind of uh, got burned out, moved uh, moved and left the country for a bit, was living in Brazil for several years, um, several years and then uh, came back and, uh, you know, continued my work as a consultant. And that's where I met um, Rosemary Mann, who's about to introduce herself uh, through Gary Jones of Full Sail University. So... That's kind of the background about how, of, uh, how I got started doing this. This is obviously, you know, working with a large international NGO is a very different vibe than, say, working with uh, a game development company. But I'm enjoying the time. I'm meeting a lot of cool people. And, yeah, it's been great. Thanks, Chance. Hi, everyone. My name is Rose Mann, and I'm the Director of Strategic Initiatives and Partnerships for Arshrock Resilience Center. Uh, our Resilience Center focuses on reaching a billion people with resilient solutions by 2030 and resilient solutions clearly to climate change, climate adaptation, and climate resilience. Uh, I've been with our center since it's launched in 2019 and uh, Chance and I lead the Climate Resilience Through Gaming Technologies Initiative and that's what we're here to talk about today. Some of the challenges I think that we've experienced uh, with this initiative uh, has really been around the idea that gaming is still game, video games, playing video games is still um, entertainment. And what we're trying to do is not, not say that it's not entertainment, video game, playing video games is entertainment, but how do we, how do we change the perspective that you can't build a skill or a new knowledge by playing video games? And I think that that's one of the challenges, you know, the other challenge can be around, along the lines of kids playing video games. One, sometimes it's too violent or kids should be outside and not playing video games. But the truth of the matter is, everyone is playing video games no matter what everyone's playing 
three billion people are playing around the world. And really the challenge is the way I see it, my perspective is how do we reach those people who are already there, who are already playing the games? How do we reach them and how do we give them life-saving skills, knowledge, where they can protect themselves, their families, uh, their communities uh, throughout all kinds of extreme events, specifically climate events that are going to be coming more and more extreme and aggressive. Yeah, and I think that uh, the West is a little bit behind, um, say, Japan from a cultural form when it comes to video games, right? So, um, you know, since I'd say the 80s, video games were recognized by a large part of the Japanese population as just a um, very standard, normal form of entertainment. It wasn't necessarily looked at as, oh, it's just a kid's thing, right? Uh, video games were ingrained in Japanese culture uh, much earlier than than here in the United States and the rest of the West, right? And I think what's happened, we've seen, is that you know a lot of people you know, might have played their first video game, maybe Atari in the early 80s, late 70s, you know, when they were a teenager, right? And now these people are in their 50s, right? And and they're CEOs, they're, they're politicians. And so we have people now that are in positions of power that grew up with video games, that see video games as just part of our culture, just like theater was or music or television or film, right? And so it's getting a lot more respect, especially when people see, like Rose mentioned, the statistics that over 3 billion people um, are playing video games, and that's just going up every single year. So I think when a lot of people are thinking about uh, reaching, you know, different nations uh, through video games, uh, they're going to think, you know, big AAA titles, Fortnite, Call of Duty, you know, Doom, whatever, right? Um, But in certain areas of the world uh, that are still developing, uh, they're not necessarily playing AAA games on a $2,000 PC or even on like a newer Xbox or PlayStation, right? Um, A lot of countries are playing mobile games and they're not even playing, say, very modern mobile games by our standpoint. So you need to make sure if you're trying to, for instance, uh, reach the most vulnerable, which is likely going to be developing nations, that you're working with games that they can actually play on the hardware they have. You know, you have to bring it to them rather than expecting them, um, you know, someone that's living in a house with 12 other people to go out and buy a PlayStation 5. Uh, that's just not going to happen. Um, so it's very important that you don't ignore um, gamers that are in these, you know, more poor developing nations, especially considering when you see who uh, or see what demographics are impacted um, by climate the most. I'll just add that mobile gaming is the biggest platform and most everyone in the world has a mobile phone. And as long as we can bring these climate resilient solutions to their phones, I think we have a chance to reach people. Um, The other thing that is interesting that I don't think Chance mentioned is the way people play games now. People play games, it's not an isolated thing. People play games together. Uh, You can play games with your friends. Um, It builds social cohesion. Uh, cohesion. It is um, a place to come uh, for uh, community. It builds community forums. This is not the way we used to play games many years ago, where it was an isolated one-person or two-person play. Now we play with hundreds of people, and hundreds of people everywhere in the world talk to each other. So as long as we can come up with the right data, you know, scientifically-based data, proven data, um, and we put that into these AAA games, or we put that into the biggest games in the world like Fortnite and Call of Duty, and 
Minecraft, and even the smaller indie games, these are games that reach a few million people. If we can do that and do that effectively and then be able to measure it and really measure the behavior change, which is exactly what the gaming industry is about, right? They measure behavior. They have to look at the behavior of their players and to make the games better. And, um, you know, also I will add that the video game, the video game industry is not limited to just people playing video games. You have a huge uh, population that is watching other people play video games on streaming services like Twitch, right? And so while there might be one person playing that game and they're, you know, taking in whatever information they're experiencing, there might be 3,000 people watching them live play that game that are also getting that same information, right? So when we're looking at people reached, uh, you know, to be accurate, we need to be recording, you know, not just the people that have played, but also the people that are watching other people play that have been exposed to that information. Um, then you have esports, which is its own vertical that I'm sure we will um, venture deeper into in the future as opportunities uh, come up. And also we have influencers. So we have influencers that are out there playing games that have millions and millions of fans that come in and watch. And those influencers can also give messages that uh, relate to climate change and climate resilience and adaptation. Some of the things I think that we need to focus on moving forward, too, is looking at behavior change much more closely. Uh, although the gaming industry does that really well, uh, I think that we need to work with scientists and researchers, uh, behavioral scientists, climate psychologists, climate scientists to figure out how do we measure what happens in the game to real-world life experiences. Uh, In-game play to real-world action is what we're really looking for. So this is a three, three billion people play video games every single day in every geography in the world. And in 2022, the video game industry is projected to have revenues over 300 billion. This is an excellent opportunity for us to work together with an industry that wants to do this, that wants to come to the table to work together to reach people with life-saving climate resilience skills and new knowledge. So I think, um, you know, in the past, there's been a lot of uh, negative perceptions of video games, uh, you know, some positive ones as well. But, you know, we have the classic someone just sitting in front of their TV, staring away for hours on end, uh, which I'm not going to argue that doesn't happen and that I don't partake in that as well. Uh, but that being said, I think a lot of people don't realize the community that's around gaming, um, especially, for instance, during the pandemic. Right. You have you know a lot of good friendships that were either made or maintained through playing multiplayer games you know especially now with say for instance vr if i connect with say a buddy in new york and we're playing a multiplayer vr game together we're remembering that we're, we're going to remember and reminisce upon that experience as if it's something that actually occurred because you know vr when you experience vr especially with other people it's really stored in your memory as if something that actually happened it's just you were in this digital realm um, you know, when I've, you know, with my years of working on Call of Duty, there were so many times where I was talking to like a father who was like, hey, I want to thank you because, you know, you know, for instance, one story was this guy was going through a divorce with his wife and him and his kid weren't very close. And he came to thank me saying thank you because we played Modern Warfare 2 together. Me and my son, we, you know, totally basically rekindled our relationship over video games over playing multiplayer video games together right um, there's stories many stories of people getting you know meeting people and getting married because they met in like world of warcraft or something like that and that's just something that's 
relatively common these days, right? Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say that video gaming in general, and you take all aspects of it, is way more community-based and way more social than most people give it. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Hub's COP27 podcast series on Rethink Talks. This season is a collaboration between the Stockholm Resilience Center and the Resilience Hub. We will release new podcast episodes throughout COP27, and we invite you to listen to additional episodes and previous seasons on rethink.earth.